0: God's Word is His weapon for revival and transformation of lives for His glory. Prepare your heart as you receive the Word of God coming to you from Calvary Revival Labors. For inquiries and counsel, you can send an email to calvarywithrevivallabors at gmail.com or call 08065607999. God bless you as you listen and obey. Verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the message of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Here we saw the apostle pleading with the Romans. Brethren, beseeching them that in view of the mercies of God they have received, that they should present their bodies as a living sacrifice unto God that is holy and acceptable. Now, when he said, I beseech you, therefore, the word therefore means that there is something that is there before. That is to say, that particular verse has a connection with what has been written or said before. Therefore is a word that is used to connect two sentences or two paragraphs or what has been said before with what I'm about to say. So there is something that he has said before that he is using as a foundation, as a background to be able to say what he's saying now What is he saying now? That they should present their bodies unto God as a living sacrifice. That is holy and acceptable unto God. But there is a background. There is a foundation. Upon which he is saying that. And when he said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. The word "brethren" has to be uh, refers to brothers and sisters. That is to say, the people that he is beseeching are not unbelievers. He is actually beseeching believers, born again Christians that he knew. So when he saying, "Present your bodies as a living sacrifice," he is not asking. Unbelievers to pl- present their body as a living sacrifice. No. Something has to happen in their life before they will be qualified to receive such an instruction. And that is what the is it phrase by the or the clause by the message of God. By King James says by the message of God. I'm sure there is a version that is. In view of God's message. In view of God's message. And when you read some chapters, before that chapter 12, you will notice that he expressed, you know, the message of God that God has shown to us in almost all the chapters. And he's now saying, based on that message of God, and for the fact that you are brothers and sisters, present your bodies as a what? A living sacrifice that is holy and acceptable unto God. We know that God has shown us mercy in several ways, in several dimensions, but the message of God that we all have received, the uh, the Romans have received, you know, is as a result of the gift of God to us in Jesus Christ. And so, there are some few verses in the, some of the chapters that these messages were expressed, and that is where um, we are going to start the exposition. We are going to begin to look at this message of God that has been shown to us. As he described that in some of the verses, in some of the chapters before this chapter 12. So let's move to chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. You will look at verse 6. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. He said, for when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet, paraventure for a good man's son will even dare to die. Can we all read verse 8 together? One to go. But God commended his love towards us. In that, while we, we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrated or demonstrates his love towards us. How did he do that? While we were yet sinners, Christ did what? He died for us. And in verse 9... He said, much more than being now justified by his blood. To justify is to make right, to make straight, To be put in the proper place where we are supposed to be. We are justified by his blood. We shall be saved from rot through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son. Much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Now look at verse 9 and verse 10. There are two things that are outstanding in those two verses. In verse 9 he said, Much more than being now justified by his blood. Justified by his blood. why he died for us, he shed or shedded his blood on the cross. And the Bible says that blood that he shedded on the cross is a means of our justification. God used that to sanctify and cleanse our life from sin and unrighteousness. Then he said, We shall be saved from wrath through him. He's talking about salvation. We shall be delivered from wrath. And then trying to explain that further in verse 10, he said, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more? Now we are reconciled. We shall be saved by his life. There are, I say there are two things. If you didn't get it in verse 9, you will get it in verse 10. One verse 9 said, talked about being justified by the blood. And then being saved from his wrath. Then verse 10 said that we were reconciled to God. Why will we are? Enemies. the death of Jesus by the blood of Jesus reconciled us with God and then he said that we now have hope that as he has reconciled us by his blood we shall be saved by his life that is a reconciliation it's different from salvation are you getting that? Now all of that is God's message. Reconciliation has to do with okay, if this lady has done something that is you know painful to me, I'll be very angry at her, and then if she comes and says I'm sorry, forgive me, I've done you wrong. What do I do? I forgive her, and after forgiving her, I have what? reconcile with her so when you hear the word reconciliation it's talking about forgiveness when god forgives us by the reason of the blood of jesus there is another component called what salvation are you following me now these two things are the messes that we collected or received from god As a result of the death of Jesus for us, he died for us. What does he mean that he died for us? He died for us means that he died the death we are supposed to die. He died in our place. He suffered the very suffering that you are supposed to suffer. The punishment that we are supposed to suffer because of our offense, he took it upon himself. He's a mercy. And as a result of that you know, substitution, death, we received uh, forgiveness by his blood and we also received salvation. We are talking about that because most times you notice that many, many believers have come to the point of being justified by his blood. They have received forgiveness. But Salvation by his life has not become their testimony. There is a difference between forgiveness and salvation. That is the point. If someone is forgiving, let's say, you, are, you, you, you just come to God and say, Lord, I'm sorry, I have offended you, I have been telling lies, I have been living in sin, forgive me, I'm sorry. If God forgives you, and you go back to commit the same sin again, it is an evidence that you were never saved from that sin. Did you get that? That that was why he said we shall be saved by his life. That is, by living his life, by following his life. Are, Are you getting it? We are reconciled by his blood. We are justified by his blood. We are forgiven by his blood but that is not or does not automatically means that we are saved that's why sometimes you see many many believers as relaxed at the point of forgiveness hoping to confess and sin and confess again and sin again and it's an endless cycle and sometimes you wonder the difference between the believers and the old um traditional religious system that we are claiming that we are better than eh because they also have the same endless cycle of going for confession or confessing to god maybe whenever you gather for service everybody you know is a sinner so let us confess we even quote a particular scripture out of context in order to justify the fact that we all are sinners no That is salvation. A woman was brought to Jesus, caught red-handed in adultery, in John chapter 8. And the Bible says that they they placed her, you know, in the midst where Jesus was. And they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in adultery. And Moses told us that such a person should be killed. What do you say? Jesus said, if you have not sinned before, pay the first to stone her. And they all left. He said to the woman, where are your accusers? Has none of them condemned you? He said, none, sir. I am not also condemning you for what you have done. I'm actually forgiving you. But go and sin how many times? Go and sin no more. I forgive you. I'm not condemning you. That's a different thing. You are justified. You are not going to be punished for what you have done. But... When you move from here, sin no more. That is salvation. And that is what mercy brought to the woman. Mercy brought two things to her that morning or that day. The first thing is what? Forgiveness from what she has done. The second thing is what? Empowerment to sin no more. That's salvation. You are empowered to tell lies no more you are empowered to lust no more you are empowered to you know quarrel or fight or you know whatever no more sometimes we say we are believers but at the same time we behave like unbelievers That is, we behave as if we don't believe the word for example there are some of us here now that truly from your heart You don't believe that somebody can sin no more. If we are to shake your heart now, not your mouth, because if I ask how many of you believe that somebody can sin no more, you may say, I believe with your mouth. But in your heart, you are like, I don't think that it is possible. Maybe judging by your own experience or by the experiences of people around you. But do you think that Jesus can tell somebody to go and sin no more, when it is not possible to sin no more, do you think so? Mm. Telling her to go and sin no more when there is nothing like sin no more. No, it doesn't joke like joke like that. It's not. It doesn't play. There is something called what? Sin no more. That is what we call salvation. And that is what the mercy. You know, the apostle was right, and he said. I beseech you because you have received mercy. Mercy is not even a mercy. That's why we are trying to discover the messes. The first mercy we have received from God is that by the death of Jesus, we were justified by his blood, forgiven. The second mercy that we are received is that we are saved by his life. How do you come to the point where you sin no more? How do you come to the point of that salvation? Okay, let me ask. Before Jesus was born eh, in the Old Testament, do you think that there is forgiveness? People, when they commit sin, do they go for sacrifices and they are forgiven? Yes. Before he was born, the religious system that Moses set up has been operating on that, you know, level. Where, if you commit any sin, there is a clear specification of the kind of animal you are going to bring. Maybe a pigeon or a turtle dove, or any of them. You used to read that in Leviticus, or some other book of Moses. And you will bring it to the high priest or the chief priest, and they will kill it and sprinkle the blood upon you and tell you that your sins are forgiven. In other words, you are free to go and sin again and come back. In fact, the priests, some of those sacrifices are their food. That's how they are sustained. So the more people sin and come for um, confession and uh, sacrifice, they are getting what they'll be. It's a system that failed. The way the a book of Hebrew described that, it said. That system is faulty. And that is why Jesus came. Amen. They, ne- they were never free from sin. They know that as they are coming this uh, synagogue Sabbath day for sacrifice, they are going to come again next Sunday or next uh, Saturday. They already know. Because they know that they cannot. So they keep on. It's a routine, an endless routine. So when the angel that was about to announce the birth of Jesus came to Joseph, while he was thinking about putting Mary away because she was found with a child before the marriage, he said to him, do not be afraid to take Mary your wife, for she is conceived of Holy Ghost. And she shall give birth to a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall what? Save his people from their salvation. That's what is coming to actually bring. Salvation is the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament offered forgiveness. The New Testament offers forgiveness. The Old Testament does not and has no capacity for salvation. The New Testament brings salvation. So if you see a man that is sending and confessing and sinning and confessing, even if he's speaking in tongues, he's living in the Old Testament. He has not really encountered Jesus the Savior. He may say, I have received Jesus into my life as my Lord and Savior, but you know that human beings has ability to talk whatever they like to talk. That does not mean that what they are saying is true. Are you getting what I'm saying? Anybody can say, I have received Jesus into my life as my Savior, but that is not true in practice. the person is not yet saved still struggling with sin amen so paul was writing to the to to timothy in first timothy chapter 1 verse 15 he said this is a faithful saying and it is worthy of all acceptation that christ jesus came into this world for one purpose to save sinners of whom i am the chief the reason why he came he did so many things but he was never confused of why he came. He knew that he has to die, shed his blood for forgiveness. But he has to really bring salvation by the reason of his resurrected life unto us. So God has shown us mercy. You know why we are talking about it is that the the admonition to present your body a living sacrifice has a foundation, and if the foundations are not established in your life, then it will be impossible for you to do that. It's not possible to present your body as a living sacrifice that is holy and acceptable. These are weighty statements. Eh? That particular admonition is very weighty. It's more weighty than we think. Present your body as a living sacrifice that is holy. We are yet to look at that. That's why we must first of all settle the foundation. The foundation foundation is the mercies of God. And number one mercy is forgiveness. That's okay. But salvation as a result of his death. And as a result of his resurrection. Are you saved? Are you sure you are saved? I asked somebody a question one day. I said, are you sure you are saved? And he said, yes. I said, wait. I didn't say, are you saved? Are you sure? He has to think for a while before he responded, no. That he is not uh, sure. Amen. Amen. So, it's not something that somebody can speak on your behalf. It's not somebody that you yourself can be guessing about. It's somebody that is so practical and so visible in your own life. If you have not been saved, you know that you are a member of the fellowship does not mean that you are saved. How do you know that you are saved? Are you still living in sin? Because salvation is from something. And what is that? What is that? Salvation from sin. That's why he came. He came to save us from sin. Not to save us from the air. He came to so that we will be forgiven and receive the empowerment to sin no more. That's mercy. It's only the mercy of God that did that and we continue to do that. Well, we are born as sinners, no problem. God said, no problem. But we are not supposed to die as sinners. Because the Savior has come. The Savior has died. Do you know this uh, common saying that people used to say that we are not perfect? Nobody is perfect. Have you heard that before? Now, when people say we are not perfect, nobody is perfect, it's sounding like the truth. Eh? But have you forgotten that? Jesus said you must be perfect because your heavenly father is what? He's perfect. Did he say something like that? Yes. That was how he ended the sermon on the mountain. Oh, no, not ended. One of the... Major things he told the disciples on that mountain. You must be perfect. Just like somebody said nobody is holy. And he, First Peter 1, 15 and 16 said you must be holy. Because your father is what? Holy. He say, I am the Lord, I am holy, so you must be holy. So sometimes you, hear, you see people, one day I was talking with somebody <laughs> about giving his life to Christ. He said he has given his life to Christ. Then as we are discussing, he said, even though sometimes as mad, kaipo, as mad, person, one, stay, for That is, in his mind, he believed that, even though I have given my life to Christ, that there is no space for stopping sin entirely. Amen. So, I don't know, because it will all start with Believing. What do you believe first? I read a scripture during a Bible study that I was handling some years ago. 1 John chapter 3 verse 9, where the Bible said, No one that is born of God continues to commit sin, because the seed of God in him. So when I finished explaining it, one brother said that he has not had anything like this before. That all his uh, life and Christian life, he Believe that one can stay sin, but the only thing is that don't sin too much, and even if you sin, ask God for forgiveness, and then get forgiveness and continue. But the way the Bible put it, there is it: no one that is born of God. That is to say, God has made a provision. You know, something is going to happen in this meeting. You will see clearly as we proceed how that provision was made and why it is not working in the life of many Christians. That something is not working in your life does not mean that it's not possible. And you can easily and quickly conclude, and even preach it, if you have opportunity to preach, that this is the standard of life that you have tested and proved. And people that are following you and listening to you at your level, will carry it and you know take it as standard. That's why no man is our standard but what? Jesus. The Bible says looking unto Jesus, who is what? His life is our example. Don't tell me that David committed more sin than, um, than uh, Saul. But he's still a man after God's heart. Have you had that kind of uh, thing before? Eh? I see, the reason is because anytime he sins against God, he will fall before his face and he's confessing and, you know, and that endeared him to God. So what, is, uh, what are you trying to tell us by that? That we should sin, but anytime time we sin, we should do what? Excuse me, we are not Davidians. Are you a Davidian? What are you Christ-like? We are not following David. Who are we following? The examples of Jesus. And he came to save he came to save. The height of his mercy by dying for us is not in the forgiveness, even though that is quite important, but in the word salvation. And so we see today several believers speaking in tongues, but at the same time telling lies. Several believers Worshipping in the spirit and chanting, but at the same time, living in lust. Why? The same religious spirit of the Old Testament. Sin and get forgiven. The blood is always available, flowing, justifying. But you have not been saved from sin and from wrath. I pray that any one of us here who have not experienced this salvation, you will experience it just now. You will come to him and say, Lord, have a of your blessing. Have a of your mercy. That is a song we used to sing in the, I think, ancient and modern. I love that song so much. I use it a lot during evangelism, morning crying or that kind of thing. I sing it a lot. Don't know the English version, but the igbo version is what I know very well. Zu kongka, gabo nani onwo, we obiye gabo ni kenge njo. Oh, Jesus, no law, eh. This meeting will be full of joy when our heart has been delivered from the power of sin. So sin has power. What is the power of sin? I'm not going to do it again, Lord, I'm sorry. Before you know it, you did it again. That's the power of sin. Oh, I want to forgive this sister. In fact, I'm forgiving her. But the moment you see her next time, something is, you know, wrong in your heart. You just feel bad. You remembered what she said the other time. You remembered what she did the other time. You just notice that truly your heart has not what? Forgiven this person. You still have something in your heart against her. Amen. Now, when you move from chapter five to chapter six, it started with a question. Let's read it. Romans chapter six. Started with a question. Let's read it together. One to go. What shall we say then? Uh Shall we continue in saying that grace may abound? What is the answer in verse 2? God forbid. Uh He said, God forbid. That is to say, it is not acceptable. How shall we continue in sin? Or shall we continue in sin that grace will abound? He said, God forbid. It's not possible. We, sh- we shall not continue in sin because the Savior has come. He died for us in order to save us from the power of sin. And so because of that, we shall not continue in sin. Now, but he's presenting something else that the death of Jesus showed and brought to us. That is... Clearly stated in verse 6. Let's read verse 6 together. One to go. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not... Look at that verse. It's a very powerful verse. Knowing this, there is something... What what do you have there, King James Version? He said, knowing this. That is is it T H I S or T H E S E? That's a particular this to know. What is that? That our old man was crucified with him. Now, chapter five was dealing with the fact that he died for us and the implication of his death for us, which are two forgiveness, justification, reconciliation by his blood. And then salvation by his life. Now, here is showing us another aspect of the death. It's just like a coin having two faces. How many of you made Nigerian coin? Nigerian naira in coin. You saw it. How many faces does it have? Is it the same thing on the two faces? No. The first face of the coin is a different thing. The other face is a different thing. same death of jesus but one is talking about he died for us the other one is talking about we died with him there are implications of his death for us and there are implications of our death with him so chapter 5 was dealing with his death for us why chapter 6 was dealing with our death with him that's why he started with the question how shall we that are dead to sin how did we die to sin verses showed us that our old man, our flesh, our sinful nature that we were born with, was crucified with him. So he was not hanging on the cross alone. He was hanging on the cross with us. We were hanging there with him. How did it happen that before you were born, you were crucified? First Corinthians 1.30, the Bible said that birth of him, that is, of God, because of God, because of what God did, are we in Christ Jesus. Who has become for us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Birth of God. That is, God is the one that did it and brought us into Christ. Do you remember that before Jesus you know, was crucified, at the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed fervently. You remember? And what was the content of his prayer? He was asking God, If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. He prayed that prayer point for three hours. One prayer point. When he finished praying for the first one hour, he come back to meet the people he called prayer partners. He found them sleeping. He woke them up and went again and spent another one hour praying for three hours. It was after the third hour that he came and told them that, you know, the time of prayer has finished, that the enemies are coming now, so let's go at the third time he went to pray that prayer you know what he said he said father if it is not possible for this cup to pass away from me except i drink it let your will so there is a cup jesus did not say let this bucket pass away it was not a bucket that was a cup it may be invisible but it was real are you getting me you need to understand that god was giving him a cup at that And that cup was, how God did it is what we don't know, containing our old man. Old man, iniquity, the flesh of the generations that have passed, the current generation, and the generations that are to be born. God, how he did it is what we don't know. The devil didn't know that transaction that took place there. Eh? Because if he has known that the same Jesus that entered Gethsemane is not the same Jesus that came out, eh? he would have refused to crucify him. That was why the Bible said that the princes of this world, if they have known, they would not have crucified the Lord of Glory. Because that was how our salvation came. If you are following me, let me see up. Good. He drank a cup and the moment he drank that cup of iniquity, the father turned away. And So the man that spoke in John 8, 29 and said, he that sent me is always with me. The father has, that sent me has not left me alone because I always do those things that are pleasing to him. The same man cried out on the cross and said, my God, my God, no longer my father, my father. He has never called God my God until at that point of the cross. What he has ever called him from all the record has shown us that he always called him what? My father. But while he was hanging, that relationship of father and son was cut off because of the sin. The iniquity he drank from that cup. Are you following me? And so he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yes. Yes. He just finished testifying that he has never left me alone because he is living a holy life, a righteous life, a life that is pleasing to him. How come now he took up our sins? He took up our iniquities. He drank it. He took up our old man. And so while they were crucifying him, they were not just crucifying him, they were crucifying Both him and our flesh, even when we, before we were born. That's why we know that everybody has received salvation. The only thing that we do at the point of being born again is activation. There's a nepa light in the room, but you have to go and on the bulb at the switch. Light has come into this world, but men chose to remain in darkness. Does it happen? that Nepalite is on, and you know. But because you want to do some things in the dark, you will not earn it. That's what Jesus said when he was here. That's what is holding so many unbelievers. Not as if they they are not yet saved, they have been saved. But they need to personally activate their salvation because God has shown every man mercy. For God so loved the world. Didn't distinguish, it's for everybody. So, he died for us, chapter 5 of Romans captured it. And then chapter 6 said, we died with him, our old man. That was why verse 7, read verse 7, Romans 6, 7. What did he say? For he that is dead is free from sin. Can somebody be free from sin? Yes. How can somebody be free from sin? Only a dead man is free from sin. And God knew about that. A living man can never be free from sin. It's only a dead person that you will slap and he will not slap back. He will not even get angry. If somebody now, you did not do anything to that person, yeah, came and slapped you. And as you are saying, excuse me, why did you slap me? He slapped you again. then whether you are dead or alive, will show up. Because an evidence that you are alive is that you will have to react. You have to say, what is happening here? And most times, if it is somebody that you will beat up, you, or you can beat up, eh? <laughs> you will beat the person up. And make sure that you decisively deal with him. He that is dead that there's one particular man you call him he I don't know whether that he is here yeah. <laughs> he that is dead is what freed from sin freedom from sin is not possible for he that is alive otherwise by the time somebody gossip with your name and say what is not true eh the response, your response to that will show whether you are dead or not. Only a dead man is free from sin. Amen. But you know, as is says, knowing this. So, it's not just that we are dead with Christ. There is a knowledge of it that must be established in your life for it to work. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. And then when you read verse 11, that same chapter, let's read verse 11 together, everybody. Verse 11, one, two, go. Now, that verse began with likewise, isn't it? Likewise. Likewise means in the same way. So you need to get to verse 10 so that you'll be able to know what. Is comparing what did verse 10 say? For in that Christ died to sin once. Eh? Now he lives unto God. So he said that Jesus died to sin once. And you remember we died with him, as we saw in Verses. And he said, because he died to sin once, didn't die twice. In the same way. You should consider, reckon means consider, count yourself to be dead indeed unto sin. Because the truth is that we died with him. Do you know why we are believers? We are believers because we believe what God said concerning us. God said that Christ died for us, we believe. Now God also said that we died with Christ our old man, our flesh, our sinful nation was crucified with him, what do we do about it? We believe. And it is only when we believe that it can work. Okay, if you say that I don't believe that I died with Christ, but that he died for me, I believe. How did you become sure that he died? Isn't it not the same story? The same Bible? Were you there when he died for you? You were told by the Bible, isn't it? And the same Bible is now also telling us that we died with him. So our responsibility is the same way we believe that he died for us is the same way we believe that we died with him. And when we believe that we died with him, then when we begin to consider and regard ourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. And that consideration we bring us to the point of, you know, victory and freedom over and above sin. That's where the salvation that was spoken about in chapter 5 becomes real and practical. Eh? He said, shall we continue in sin that grace will abound? He said, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin, Now listen, do you know, okay, if if somebody is asking you for an answer in the exam hall, is it correct as a child of God to tell him answer? It's not correct. What, are you protesting? (laughs) Now, you know that it's not correct, isn't it? Now, and you say, I'm not going to tell this person answer, I have decided I'm not going to tell because I know that this is a sin, isn't it? Now, do you know that every human decision has a limit? Every human decision has what? A limit. There is a level it will reach. Eh? The same you that say, I will not tell this person answer. We open your mouth and start talking. That's why believers are still committing sin. Because you see yourself say, I'm not going to defile myself before marriage. You attend a program, and the word of God will come so powerfully. And you will vow and say, I will no longer do this. After all your decisions, sometimes you notice that those things that you have said you will not do, you are doing them. Does it happen to anybody? Does it happen to anybody? Was it because your decisions are not strong at the point you took them? Eh? No! Some of us have cried at the altar when the word of God came so powerfully. I remembered... I think it was the neighboring state here. Two thousand and fourteen I I was a speaker in one of the fellowship their national leadership training here for their fellowship leaders. And the word of God came so powerfully in that weekend meeting that you know I remember one of the occasions after finish I finished preaching and I made a little altar call. I didn't ask them to lay uh, nail down, just come out. One of them just came down and came out and lie down. You know what the person meant? A living, kill me, I want to die here. (laughs) The decisions were strong. The determination was strong. But the truth is that freedom from sin can never be established by decision and determination of man. Are you following me? The only thing that handles sin is death. In your mind, in that exam hall, if you know that a dead man cannot cheat, that's when you know that no matter what happens, you will never ever cheat. Do you understand what I'm talking about now? Oh, you are not understanding me. If you come to the point where you know that, how shall I? That is dead to lust. Lost again. You know that there is no amount of any persuasion from any man, any woman, that will bring you to lust. Are you getting me? Death is God's solution for us. That was why he knew. God knew. There are people, Paul was a Pharisee before he was, he, he, he was, um don't want to say he was arrested. Some used to say he was arrested. In fact, some unbelievers used to say that God should come and arrest me the way he arrested Paul. And when I hear them talk, I used to correct them. I said, number one is that Paul was not a sinner like you. You see the person is a drunkard. You see the person is a fornicator. Paul was not, never a drunkard. He was never a fornicator. In fact, he said, concerning the righteousness that is in the law, I am blameless. So, so a, he's a Pharisee, but he's not even a hypocritical one. He's so passionate about the law that he felt that those disciples are breaking the law. So, let me do something and bring them to order. Do you understand? But while he began to uh, speak in the next chapter, I want to visit the next chapter before I con—I conclude my journey on this one. Chapter 7. You hear me saying that I didn't know what sin is until the law came. And then he give an example of one particular law. You see, for if the Lord did not say, thou shalt not covet, I would not have known what it means to commit sin. Because the Lord of Moses has... Ten commandments, isn't it? And that ten commandments, there is only one that said, Thou shalt not covet. That is the tenth one. Number one to nine are demanding external actions. Don't kill. I'm not going to kill. Don't commit fornication. I will never do it. Go to Sabbath on, on Saturday. I will always go. Are you getting it now? Those nine, Paul said, if the 10th commandment, which says thou shall not covet, is also a physical thing, don't remove this book from here, I will never know what sin is. But he said, but thank God for the 10th commandment that introduced an internal requirement such that when I wanted to uh, keep that commandment that says thou shall not covet, the more... I try not to covet. The more I see my heart, what? Lost. You see, it was by the reason of that 10th commandment that I come to know what sin is. Are you following what I'm talking about? So Paul would have been the first person to use determination and decision to avoid both internal and external uh, Sin, but you can see that his decisions and determination failed, and he was writing about it because that's one thing about sin. If you believe that, oh, I am not a sinner, who knows? God looks at the heart, eh? if you want to determine who is a sinner by mere external activities or by mere look, you will not be able to know. Am I correct? Some years ago, I was in a conference, uh, a speaker like this in a conference, and it was a very big conference, and the, the choir people were singing that night, the first night, and after their had sung, I, I preached, and after preaching, some of the people that answered the altar call needed Canceling, so I sat down to cancel them. One of them was the person that conducted choir that night, and I didn't know him from that conference. I have preached in their fellowship before the conference, and still, when I came to their fellowship to preach, he was still the choir, you know, coordinator of the fellowship. And, lo- and so, I took him as one of the most serious persons. In the fellowship but when he came for casting he says, there's something i want to tell you that i've never told anybody and what is that i commit the sin of homosexuality see nobody has known about this i was shocked because there is nothing to show there is nothing to show about it in his physical uh, appearance. Are you getting me? So if sin is to be judged by external actions only then all we need to do is to try to avoid like Paul we may attend to that level. Are you getting me? But because sometimes Jesus when he was talking to the disciples in the book of Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, he was trying to show them that the requirement of righteousness, the, the, the New Testament righteousness, is higher than the righteousness of the Pharisees. Because the righteousness of the Pharisees are external righteousness, the physical activities, like Paul. But this one is internal. Now he said, they told them, that thou shall not kill. Because if you kill, you will be liable to hellfire. But he said, I'm telling you now if you get angry with your brother, you will be liable to the same hell. Why did he equalize anger with killing? Do you know why? There is no man that has killed another person that did not, first of all, get angry with the person. Are you getting it? So, because anger is the root cause of killing, anger, once it manifests inside, you have not shown it outside, but you are already a sinner. He came to lust and fornication. He said... They told them you can lost in the Old Testament, but don't just commit the external one. But I'm saying that if you look now and lost, you have committed. Why? You know why now? There is no human being that has ever committed fornication or adultery who did not first of all lost. Are you getting it? So, they external actions of sin are built upon the internal so you are considered as a sinner not when you spoke spoke wrongly but when you thought about are you getting what i'm saying you may be looking at somebody and in your heart you are not really happy with this person but you are still greeting the person good morning now god knew that you are a sinner But the person may not know, and people may not know. That's why the hymn we sang said, I want to judge myself each day. What does judging yourself help you to achieve? It helps you to achieve the, 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 the sinful thoughts that people are not seeing. Because if people are to judge you from morning to night, they may mark good, good, good for you. Because you didn't tell any lie. You didn't... Yeah, touch any woman, did you? <laughs> but if you are to judge yourself, you will remember that when you looked at that woman, you looked twice. In fact, you looked three times. Because of the way she dressed. And you you started thinking about it. I get into it now. So, the issue of freedom from sin is what Jesus achieved Or what God achieved through Jesus, by the reason of our death with Him. Amen. That's what He achieved. Now, when you read verse four, okay, verse verse twelve. Let's read verse twelve. That's in Romans chapter 5, chapter 6, verse 12. Do not let sin. Therefore, do what? Reign in your mortal body. What is the meaning of that? That is to say, even though We are crucified with him. That is not the end of the battle. You will still need to watch. If I say, do not let anybody enter this hall. Have I given you a walk or not? Is it a small walk? (laughs) You will notice that if you are to do that walk well, you can't be here. You should be at the entrance, isn't it? Because if you are here, and a stubborn visitor is coming. And as the person is entering, they say, hey, hey, hey! They say nobody should enter here. Will the person listen to you? There are some people that when they hear come, what they have heard is what? Go. When they hear don't enter, they will enter and they will be shouting on you. Say, Tah! Who said that? They are just stubborn by nature. Where they say people should not go is where they would like to go. Have you seen such people before? <laughs> there are so many of them. You know? So, that verse is saying, don't just uh, say, uh, we are crucified with Jesus. My old man is dead. I'm dead. And then you begin to expose yourself. sin. He says sin will still have rule over you. Because sin is a master. So if you remember verse 6, verse verse 6 says, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin will not be destroyed, that we should no longer serve sin. So what are we before? We are slaves of sin before. Now By the reason of our death with him, he has delivered us from sin. But you need to watch. Don't let sin. That is why, if you see somebody say, I am dead to sin, and the person at the same time is still watching pornography, is he inviting sin or not? You see yourself watching film acted by unbelievers. Eh? is it good for a Christian brother or sister to watch film that is acted by unbelievers I mean showing their way of life and all of that of course what would they, they show they will show you how to do quiet time eh? in the film they will just show a scene scene 24 where the person woke up in the morning and began to worship have you seen that kind of thing no, the only thing they show you is their lifestyle. And that's the only thing they know. If you are a lady, they will be teaching you how to respond to a toast by a guy. And so you are watching how to respond. You a believer, you are respond. you are watching how to what? Respond to a toast. Who will now toast to is it these brothers? Are you getting me what I'm saying? You are, you are wasting your time. You are not learning anything that will help your spiritual life. So, when you see yourself, you know, most times when people come for counseling and they say, sir, my problem is lost." I don't waste time to ask them that question. Do you still watch films that are acted by unbelievers? And they say yes. The answer is always yes. Because you can never be free from lust until you stop watching unbelievers. When you watch them, the Bible said all that is in the world is number one, lust of the eyes. That's number one. Number two is also what? Lust. So everything you are getting, you get double dose of lust anytime you are watching the world. And watching film acted by unbelievers is an advanced form of it. The normal one is watching them physically. Oh, you are not getting what I'm saying. There are some of us that are so interested in unbelievers that you like watching them. <laughs> you say, I'm not watching them, but you are doing the live watch. You know, pornography is two types. Pornography has the live one, where you see a lady that is not properly dressed or a man that is not properly there you are watching. What is that? That's life pornography. There's one inside a film or a phone. The same thing with film. When you see them behaving and acting and painting and all of that, and you are watching, you are collecting things through the gate of your life. You are supposed to say, do not let sin rule in your mortal body again. So you have to ensure that at the gates of your life, we have two gates of our life. They are gates because they are the means through which things enter our heart. And Proverbs 4.23 said, guard your heart with all diligence. Because out of it, so it's garbage in, garbage out. What you allow to enter your heart, will enter your heart, get processed, and begin to come out as action. If you, if you have never seen any picture of anything that is lustful, lust can never manifest in your heart. But when you finish watching all the uh, you know lustful pictures on Facebook, and you now say, let me pray my night prayers. You have spent two hours on Facebook, or one hour and then move to Instagram and some other places and then you come and say, let me say my night prayer. When you, cl- Even if you close your eyes and don't close your eyes again, even if you close your eyes and say, let me pray, what will you be seeing again? Those things that you watch will be playing, playing back. Are you following me? So the Bible said, watch what you are hearing. What you hear with your ear enters into your heart. What you see with your eyes enters into your heart so that you don't abuse and, you know, disarm the mercies that God has provided for you through the death of Jesus. Then verse 13 says, don't yield yourself to sin as instrument of righteousness, but yield yourself to God as those that are alive from the dead and... Your members as instruments of righteousness. We are going to come to that when we begin to deal with the living sacrifice. Then verse 14, say why I'm telling you this is because sin shall not have dominion. What is dominion? Rule. Sin shall not govern you, enslave you anymore. Why? Because you are not under the law, but under grace. You are not under the law, but under grace. What does it mean to be under the law? To be controlled by the dictates of your flesh. To be under the law is you yourself trying and struggling by determination to keep the law. To be under grace is that you have come to realize and know that, see, I am crucified with Christ. It's not me that is living again. It is Christ. And so you depend on him. You depend on his strength. You depend on his grace. And that was what the whole chapter of um, chapter 7 was talking about. Paul was like, after I have known this, I went, still went to struggle with the flesh. I still tried to use my own strength to keep the commandments of God. Then I found out that I felt again and again. Now when you enter chapter 8, where I'm going to stop now, move to chapter 8. You will notice another mercy, another branch of the mercy. And what I call this one is the, the kinetic mercy. That of chapter six, 5, 6, and 7 is potential mercy. If you read physics, read you know about um, potential energy and um, kinetic energy. Potential energy is energy that is stored, that is You know, not moving, but he's there. He has the capacity to do great things, but he's not in action. Then, but kinetic energy is the energy in action. Now, when you get to chapter 8, what did you see there? Verse 1, what did you see? Therefore, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Why? Who walk not after the flesh, but after the what? After the spirit. So he's introducing a terminology. That terminology is spirit. Did you see that? Throughout uh, chapter six, chapter seven, chapter uh, five, chapter four, chapter three, chapter two, chapter one, you never see that word, spirit. When he finished dealing with what happened by his death for us and by our death with him and the struggle of chapter 7, then he now entered chapter 8. And the very first verse, he came up with the word what? Spirit. He want to show us something, and I want you to pay attention to that. Because, listen, I have observed and discovered that no matter how much you know the truth of the word of God. And maybe you can even preach it. Not by power. Not by might. But by my word. Even if you know that I am dead to sin. That knowledge will become useless. If you are not empowered by the Holy Spirit to live according to that truth. The Bible called him the spirit of truth, but what that actually means is that he is the spirit that enables believers to practice the truth. He will reveal the truth and he will also enable you to do what? So when you read verse 12 of chapter 8, Verse two, let's read it. What did he say? We adapt us not to the flesh, isn't it? to live after the flesh,-huh? Therefore, we are not debtors anymore to live after the flesh. That's okay, because our flesh has been crucified. But chapter 6 told us with him. He said, if you live after the flesh, you shall die. Now, when he said therefore again, you know the word therefore. It means that he has said some certain things before. So, can we just read from verse 5 to 8 before we now come to that therefore? Because that is what is there before. Verse 8, what did he say? Open it. So then, those that are in the flesh cannot what? Please God. Those that are in the flesh has no capacity to... Please God. Verse 6. Read. <laughs> to be carnally minded is what? Who has good news Bible? Anybody? Eh? You have good news. Can you read it for us? No, start from verse 5. Well. those who live as their human nature tells them to have their mind controlled by what the human nature wants uh-huh. those who live as the spirits so there are two ways to live Are you getting it now? Now, we are not talking about living. We have talked about what Jesus did at the cross and the need for us to know it and believe and confess it, reckon it, consider ourselves. But that's not enough. We now come to talk about the way of living, living practically on a daily basis. Are you getting it now? This is where we normally fail. This is where believers fail. We know the the, the death theory. I died with Jesus. Some years ago, the knowledge of our death with Christ was not popular in the body of Christ. The one that was popular is that he died for us. But through the help of some of our elder brothers in Christ, they began to teach us. And now I believe that many of us have come to know that. I'm, I'm sure that th- I'm not the first person that is teaching us, or today is not the first day you are hearing that we died with Christ. Am I correct? If you know it before now, let me see you up. Before now, you know that we died with Christ. Uh-huh. So you can see that it's not new. But why is it that after knowing that you died with Christ, somebody provoked you, and you know that a dead man does not get angry? Are you following me at all a dead man does he get angry uh-huh. and we died with him and then somebody provoked you and you get so angry and they are holding you reminding you as they are holding you when you're about to slap the person you remember that you are dead and you say dead what beg, leave me let me teach him lesson today <laughs> you will notice that at the point of action eh, even the knowledge seems to be useless if you if you if you are following what I'm talking about, let me share up. If you if you have experienced before, let me show you. At that time you seem to know, you seem to remember that you are dead. But that knowledge is not useful to you because it's not stopping anything. You will still see yourself do everything and put Jara on top before you come back and ask yourself, but this thing I'm saying that I'm dead, is it really working? Why is it like that? That's what we are dealing with now. It's like that because the element in chapter 8, the spirit, is taken for granted by so many believers. Those who live as the spirit tells them, have their mind controlled. Do you know what the word control means? Do you know what? Okay, do you know remote control? What does it mean to remote control? You will see a television you press a button, what happened? The thing will change. That's control. That is to say, you are like this, and the spirit is what? Controlling you. Somebody will slap you. The spirit will hold you like this. If you are without the control, you may even have the knowledge, but you will slap back. Are you getting it now? So, the spirit is now going to provide the kinetic energy to execute the potential truths that took place at the cross. And that's where many believers normally fail to live the life of a Christian. Based on the message of God. Are you following me now? And that's the element, that's the place. Once I finish dealing with it, we'll pray. Verse 12 said, We are debtors, but not to the flesh. We are debtors to the spirit. He said, for if we live according to the flesh, if we do things that our human nature tells us to do, when we die, that death is we will be cut off from god we will lose the life of god he said but if by the spirit did you see that did you see by the spirit that that should be verse 13. am i correct eh or i yeah, um, good news from us but that was yes, yeah. yes. Hey did you do you, you see something there if by the spirit somebody say by the spirit three times by the spirit by the spirit, by the spirit. ah you know is a phrase by the spirit so it can be small it can be short it can be insignificant but if you miss it you will suffer and struggle with all the knowledge of the truth in your head. Eh? And that's what, you know, has made Christianity to lose its value among the professing Christians. Sometimes even those who go for theological school, seminary school, they will have to learn so many knowledge but accept the... so they will know this, know this. But when you see their life, their life is not reflected. It's only by the Spirit. I think there's a version, if you are holding a version that is not King James or NIV, raise your hand. Let me know whether you will read for me. Which version is that? Revised. No, revised is almost like uh, King James. Any other version that is not revised? I have had good news. What of the soft copy? You don't have Bible in your phones? If you have Bible in your phones, you can open to, let's say, Living Bible or New Living Translation. That's verse 13. That's a particular version that... Yes, you can read amplified. amplify. Let's hear what you say. Verse 13 only. Uh-huh. You will surely die. Hallelujah. I feel we should clap for Amplified. But before you do the clapping, let's look at what he said first. So that you clap with understanding. So brother, can you take it bit by bit? Start again. If you live according to the dictates of the flesh, what will happen? You will surely die. die. First death, second, have you heard about second death? You will die all of them. Go ahead. But if through who? Oh, I'm so excited at this. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that somebody will insult you and you will not feel angry. If it is just the knowledge that I am dead, you will know it and be angry on top of it. So the Holy Spirit was released eh, to be the executor, the person that is making the cross to be daily alive in us. He is the one that is daily applying the cross All the benefits, all the wonderful things that happen at the cross, applying it in our life. Yes. So by the power of the Holy Spirit, start from that point again. But if by the power. uh If through the power of the Holy Spirit, uh you, 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 look at it now. Please, look up, look up. You are the one that we habitually put to death. The dictates, the desires, the lust, the things, the flesh. Because the flesh, will, even though the Bible says it has died, but you still notice that the thing is as if it's still alive. Are you getting what I'm saying? The Bible said that our old man is crucified. So if that is the, the, the truth, it means that automatically, you will never get angry again. You will never lost again. Not You will never. But in practice, you will notice that it is not like that. So how do we come to the point where it becomes like that? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit that you, not the Holy Spirit, you we put to death. What does it mean to put to death? What is death? A person that is dead, listen to the meaning of death, a person that is dead, dead lying here, we know that he is dead by his inability to respond to external stimuli. You know what they call stimuli? That is any touch, any kind of, so if you slap him, if you, you know, talk against him, if you lay a false accusation against him, there is nothing that you will do that will make him to ever respond. You know, sometimes somebody may be saying things against you. Eh? And you are just enduring it as a Christian, isn't it? But you know that what the person is doing, let's say your roommate now, Every day you you get water to bath, you reserve it, she will go and carry it and bath. You will be warning her, stop doing this. And she kept doing it. And then one day like that, you have exam in the morning, and you know, you just, like, I will even hide the water where she will not see it. And then you deliberately go and hide it in one part of the room. And you didn't know that she used her... um, what they call or do I <laughs> side eye, and so where you are when you are hiding it, and before you wake up, she has finished, you know, bathing and then drop the water in the bedroom, the bucket. When you wake up and you are trying to, such a thing can get you upset. Now, how do you, you know, reconcile that with a dead person? It shows that that thing is still there. I get it. Now, but if truly that we will experience in practice what it means to be dead, then it can only happen by you using the power of the Holy Spirit To do what? To put to death. That is, put yourself to a state of death. Do you understand it now? Such that no matter what the person says against you or about you, you will never respond. Because you have put yourself to death. But that can only happen when you, it's not the Holy Spirit that will put you to death the bible said by the power of the holy spirit you put yourself to death so don't make mistake of saying holy spirit put me to death you will not do it you are the one that will say holy spirit give me your power because i needed this your power to put to death do you understand it now you know when you read the book of colossians Colossians says the same thing, but it didn't reveal to us how that happens. Colossians 3 verse 3 says you are dead, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Then he came to us 5, say put to death your members that are upon the earth. But it was Romans chapter uh, 8 verse 13 that revealed to us how that can ever be possible. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. I think I'm okay. Thank you, sir. Now, but I'm going to conclude on this note. If it is by the dynamo or dynamic, uh, uh, dynamis of the spirit that we are going to put to death the flesh practically and its activities on daily basis on hourly basis on minute second basis so that we can actually reflect you know jesus do you remember jesus did you remember jesus Did you remember that he faced the highest temptation of his life after Gethsemane? From Gethsemane, when he was arrested, to the time he breathed his last. That was the climax of his temptation. Am I correct? Am I correct? He was tempted by the devil, the three temptations that were recorded, we know about that, at several stages of his ministry, Pharisees. And Sadducees, Herodians, they kept on tempting him. We read all of that. But the moment he finished praying in Gethsemane, and then he began to you know face the temptation, they arrested him. Now the first temptation that came to him when he was arrested is that you know that sometimes something is reminding you something about yourself and what is happening. For example, now if you are in fourth year. And there is a year one student that just became an executive member of the fellowship. And both of you are in the executive uh, meeting. And then you, say, you raise up your hand and say, President, I think we should do, it, do this in this way. And that year one student stood up and said, If I sit down. <laughs> in fact, sometimes he will take permission from the president and say, President, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. If I sit down, how can you be talking nonsense in this executive meeting? Now, you know, when he says that kind of thing, something will remind you that you are in 40. And this person is a what? So the first temptation that Jesus faced was, You are the creator of this man. And he's slapping you. He's spitting on your face. You are the one that created him. And okay, apart from that, you can do something you know he can do something stay how come he was able to move and pass through all the time in fact the pilot has to force word out of his mouth the jews accused him falsely everything they were saying about him was false he never talked and the man said can't you talk all these accusation that they are laying, can't you defend yourself at all? At least say one thing. The Bible says he was stay silent. The only thing that made him to talk was when, when Pilate now foolishly said, do you know that I can set you free from this, uh, yeah. He now said, you have no such power over me. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom is of this world, I would have asked the Father to release legions of angels. And I would, in fact, my disciples would have even fought. You couldn't, I couldn't have even seen me here. And the man, I are you a king? This is why you're talking about kingdom. So you said it. Pilate became more afraid. Are you getting it? When he was being accused by the high priest and the chief priest and the low priest, you know, they accused and accused, and he never said anything until. The high priest now said, I adjure you by the living God. That is to say, I bring you under the authority of God by my position as the high priest. Are you the son of God? He now said, because you called my father here, I'm going to talk. I am. And that one said, he has committed blasphemy. What are we still waiting for? Are, Are you getting it? They did all manner of things, beat him Oh my God. He overcame those temptations perfectly. Do you know why? Do you know why? Through his own power? Which power? By the power of the Spirit, he was able to put to death. Are you following me now? Now, but you remember that, that power of the Spirit was generated. Somebody say generated. Generated. Oh, when you see this fan blowing, there is a generator. Even the Nepalite, you think that is Nepalite, or EEDC, whatever you call it. Do you know that what is bringing the light is a bigger generator? Are you following what I'm saying? The same principle of the small, you know, I pass my neighbor. Eh? <laughs> the one that some of you have as a student the same principle that that small generator uses to generate power you are using to see an iron cloth is the same principle that eedc nepa is using to generate the bigger one power can never come without being generated that was the main thing he was generating When the Bible says he was praying and the sweat that was coming out of his body was like a great drop of air. Oh my God. You have read it in the Bible? What was he generating? He was generating power of the spirit that will enable him to do what? To put to death his flesh because of the temptation that is ahead. That was why he woke Peter up and said, there is temptation ahead. Wake up and pray. Because you need to generate power that will put the flesh in shake at the point of temptation. Somebody get to what I'm talking about. Oh, this is the secret. That's how, from the time I discovered this, I now entered into the practical victory over sin, not theoretical. Are you following me? And the reason why it's like this is that, okay, do you know that some of the old women and uneducated people that cannot read Bible, in the village, they live above sin. They don't know the theory of that they are dead with Christ. But they generate the power of the Spirit through prayers. If you ask them, how do you overcome sin? They don't know the theory. All they know is that when they woke up in the morning, they do what? They enter into generation stage. Oh, are you following me? When they finish generating the power, they live their life as Christians throughout the day. Full of joy and peace at every temptation, at every point. But some of us that are educated, we explain the theory of how I died with Christ the theory of how he died with me, the theory of how he died for me, after all the teaching and theory, you will still commit sin and fail. Because you have left the generator place, the place of prayer. That's why whenever I woke up every morning, any time I woke up every morning and I don't want to fare for the day, I don't do any other thing apart from generating power for at least one hour speaking in tongues. I am deliberate about it. I don't do any other thing. It's when I finish that Generating stage, I can now sit down to meditate on the word and write my lessons. Somebody getting blessed. That's where I'm going to end. So, there are several, you know, one thing about the word of God is that if you are at the stage of, you know, living in sin, Or maybe you are not even a brother. Remember where we started. I beseech you, brethren. You are not born again yet. That's where you are going to start your prayer with. There are some of us, you don't even know that you died with him. You know that he died for you. Many of us know about it. And you know it today. You need to experience that truth. But beyond that, you must practically, you know, commit yourself generating the power of the spirit, so the power of the spirit is in us, but it's in a potential stage state. Anytime you need to use it on daily basis, you must convert it to what kinetic energy through prayers. That is why in this same chapter of uh, chapter eight, when you read verse twenty-six, it will shock you. Stand up on your feet and let's read it while standing. Let's honor that verse. As you read it, why standing? Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Are you there now? Let's go. Want to go? Uh Uh Are you seeing it now? He said, we don't even know what to pray, as we ought to. And even if we know what to pray, as we ought to, we don't even have the power, the strength to do the prayer. So we have to totally rely on him, because this is the secret. This is how the power, the dynamo, the strength that will enable the you know implementation of the cross on daily basis, on hourly basis, on minute basis to be practical and real in our life. So there must be a commitment that you must make as a person and say, God, help me from today to be committed to this. You know, I told you at the beginning that this meeting is not a small meeting. Don't ever despise what God is going to do here because he has prepared for us. Now, I want you to pray. Pray Based on the level and the way the Spirit of God has ministered to you in the course of this teaching, thank you for listening. We trust you are blessed by God's word. This message and many more can be downloaded from our website www.carverirevival.org. For testimonies, counseling, and prayers, you can send an email to at gmail.com or call 080. could also follow us on all our social media platforms at Calvary Revival Legos